Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website, which is www.theorganicview.com. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, you can simply post your question on our wall on Facebook, send us a tweet to at the Organic View, or contact me directly at June Stoyer on Twitter. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, one of the most trusted names in certified organic clean foods. Listeners of the Organic View Radio Show can receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. Simply enter the coupon code ORGVIEW when prompted during checkout. That's ORGVIEW. For more special offers, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. On today's show, author and animal advocate Matthew Payne is going to talk about his new book called A Father's Pride, as well as his amazing efforts to promote wildlife conservation education with an organization that he founded called So What? So I'd like to welcome to the show, Matthew Payne. Good afternoon, Matthew, and welcome to the show. Good afternoon, June. Thanks for having me. Matthew, can you share a little bit about yourself with our listeners? Yeah, of course. Well, I'm um, I'm a full-time primary school teacher at the moment. I work in Manchester in the United Kingdom. As a, a young boy, I've I've always well since I was a young boy, I was I was always really interested in wildlife and and really basically my both my parents exposed me to wildlife from a young age. I loved watching things like Born Free and learning about Elsa. My first cat was called Elsa. Um, absolutely loved the wild wildlife and getting involved with nature. And then, like many people in my life, I uh, got distracted by university and things in life that don't matter. And recently, about I'd say about six, seven years ago, when I was a primary school teacher, I just stumbled upon um, uh, stumbled upon a book called The Butterfly Line, which changed a lot for me. And I watched a film called The Cove, which I know is a very well known film, a couple of years later, and that just got me back, wanted to get back into wildlife conservation to try and inspire young people like I was inspired when I was young to try and continue though in their life to try and help protect wildlife and and the natural world. Who are some of the influencers as far as different animal advocates that you truly admire? Right, well that's a a good question. I've got many actually. I think the first ones would have to be from the Lion Conservation Charity Lion Aid, both Peter Cat and Chris McSween. They've They've been so supportive of my work since I started started out. Um, they really took me under their wing and they let me put a blog on their uh, website. They've helped me edit my website and connect with great people out there to help sort of tell them about the work I do. And they've been such a, an inspiration, been so supportive that uh, I could never really thank them um, enough, really. On top of that, I've got, I mean, one of my heroes would have to be the conservationist Gareth Patterson. Um, he's been working in wildlife conservation for the last 25 years. He he actually um, was involved with George Adamson, one of my other heroes, and he rehabilitated three of his lions after George was sadly murdered in the Thule region of Botswana. Um, and sadly, two of them were, were shot um, afterwards. But I have, I think, every single Gareth Patterson book, and really, he's inspired me so much. He's had so many hard times and he actually spent the last few years in Neisner in South Africa working with elephants 
Um, I think he wanted a bit of a change from Lions. I was really fortunate enough, I think, last week to actually make contact with Gareth and uh, send him a copy of my book out as well, which was a really exciting time for me. I mean, I have lots lots of other ones, but those would be uh, Peter, Chris, and, and Gareth Patterson would be the main ones. Thank you. LionAid, by the way, I've had on the show numerous times, and they are a wonderful organization. So if you have an opportunity, please visit their website, which is lionaid.org. Now, Matthew, can you share with our listeners exactly what canned hunting or trophy hunting is about? I'm finding that although the show has grown tremendously, so many people are reaching out to me and asking me, what exactly is canned hunting? I've never heard of this before. Yeah, well, canned hunting is uh, it's really an awful industry. Canned hunting is where a target animal is unfairly prevented from escaping a hunter either by physical constraints, i.e. being fencing, or by mental constraints, being tame and habituated to, to humans. It's a really sordid industry. There's, it's grown so much over the last few years. There's now estimated to be around about 8,000 lions in captivity in South Africa, all of which will be, have been bred to be shot. There are 116 counting breeding farms in South Africa. And female lions, basically, when they give birth at these farms, they have their cubs taken off them straight away. Um, a lot of these farms give the excuse that the lioness's milk was dried up. I know Peter Cat from Lion Aid has, has told me he's never seen once in his many years researching lions in Botswana or in Kenya. And basically, these lionesses are forced to give birth to three litters per year, often five over two years, when really they'd only be giving one birth to one litter over two to three years. So they're basically cub-making machines. The cubs are removed in these cant hunting farms from their mother and then their soldiers, or well, marketed almost being orphaned and recruitment agencies in the UK, the US and all around the world really exploit the volunteering market and get unsuspecting tourists to pay thousands of pounds to come over to South Africa and to work with these lion cubs to raise them for the first sort of six to eight months to bottle feed them with the idea that they're actually going to be reintroduced to the wild and that they're actually contributing towards something when actually they're not. All they're doing is contributing towards the canned hunting industry. And after this has happened, you know, the cubs are petted also by tourists and tourists are brought to these farms to have their, their photo taken with some of these cubs for, for a few pounds, and which is also really exp- really stressful experience for the cubs and being handled by humans. And then after that, if that wasn't enough, they're also walked by tourists when they're a little bit older for a little bit more money. So really these farms exploit the the lions from a young age to get as much money as they can out of them. And then when the males get to maturity and age where their manes are good enough for a hunter to want to shoot them, a hunter comes over on a plane and at about a time he wants, he stays in his five-star hotel, he he brings his family over. Um, It's not really at all an ethical hunting experience if there is one at all. The males are shot and from the males are often drugged they are well the lions are drugged and they're brought out from and left overnight often or maybe for four days different provinces in south africa have different rules and guidance for this but basically they have no chance of escaping they're habituated to humans they don't fear the people who are coming with the guns and the females are basically exploited until they often don't have a aren't able to give cubs uh, birth to cubs anymore and then they're shot when they almost don't have a use for the hunter so uh, or the hunting farm and it's just a really sordid industry which I wanted to bring awareness to. And I know a lot of the facts I've just given you is from the campaign against canned hunting, which is run by Chris Mercer 
and he does some great work if you want to find out a little bit more about um, the industry through him. When it comes to the laws, what laws are there to protect these animals? Well, it seems like there are none. Just through through my research into this and, and from what I can tell from Chris Mercer is that there are, while the candunting industry will tell you that there are laws governing this industry, there aren't really. Um, lions, for example, are not even on the endangered species list in the United States, so there are no basically laws influencing their, or being able to regulate how many have been exported and imported into the United States. There really aren't any laws, unfortunately. But a lot of this comes from outside of South Africa. So 55% of all hunters are from the US, 40% are from the EU. So one of the, the ways of trying to bring this industry to its knees, some people have our, um, their idea is to basically stop being able to basically coming up with laws that refuse the importing of trophies into the EU and the the US and you would basically almost bring it to its knees in that respect some people believe so from what I know is that there's very few laws regulating it and if there are laws for example whether you can use a crossbow to kill a lion or whether you can't it's things like that or whether you're going to kill the lion from a a car or whether you're not allowed to kill it from a car They, they vary as well through the different provinces in South Africa so there's no overriding guidance or law regulating canned hunting in South Africa. So what is that, drive-through hunting? Almost, yeah, exactly, just as you said. So, you know, you can imagine a wealthy um, hunter wants to turn up, stay in a five-star lodge, bring his family. He wants his lion shot at one o'clock. He wants his rhino at four o'clock. He can even get tigers, which is absolutely disgraceful considering how small the numbers are. And the, the big thing, the reason why this is affecting the wild populations is because of the lion bone industry. So the canned hunting industry will tell you that they are saving lions because if you don't shoot a canned lion, they'll shoot a wild lion, which is not proven to be true because the canned hunter doesn't want to have to go and spend hours or days even tracking a lion in a free area in, let's say, Kenya, where um, thankfully it's it's illegal to hunt uh, lions. So a canned hunter is not what you would have, you would argue a real hunter in a way. The canned hunter wants to bring his family out from either the US, the EU, wants to stay in, or she wants to stay in a hotel, five star luxury, bring his family over there, and then he wants to he wants to shoot his his rhino at one o'clock at uh, one o'clock in the afternoon, and at four o'clock he wants to shoot his lion, and then the next day at eleven o'clock he wants to shoot his tiger, which is absolutely disgraceful considering how few um, tigers we have left in the world. So really, a canned lion hunter or a canned hunter isn't a hunter at all. They they don't believe in fair chase. They just basically want to pay for a, a lion trophy and they want that lion trophy. There's no arguing about whether they'll get it or not. Why are the lion bones in such demand? Well, they're, they're in such demand basically because, unfortunately, the Far East seems to have, have killed nearly all the tigers that they have and the market is there and what they're basically trying to do is to find a way of replacing them. Very few people can tell the difference between a lion bone and a tiger bone or a lion skeleton and a lion tiger skeleton. So what they've decided to do is they're capitalizing on this and the canned hunting industry has seen a market for this and they're basically selling their skeletons and liaising with buyers in Vietnam, Laos and China to get their skeletons once the hunter has shot them because the hunter's only bothered about the skin. Um, they used to bury the, the skeletons, whereas now they're beginning to even dig these skeletons up where they know they've buried them to try and get money out of them. And they're selling those skeletons and, and sending them over to Vietnam, like I said, Laos and China. And what they're doing is a typical um, 
instance can be that you've got a, a lion skeleton that the lion hunter, the cant hunter will sell to a buyer for a thousand US dollars. They'll then send it over to Vietnam or one of these countries. Like I said, they'll boil it down with turtle shell, deer antler and monkey bone. And then they'll turn it into a six to seven kilogram cake from which they'll they'll make 100 gram bars, which they'll each sell for a thousand dollars. So they're basically turning the cant hunting industry, are turning a skeleton which they used to bury, which they now can now make a thousand dollars out of, and the market can turn that into sixty to seventy thousand dollars. So it's really profitable. So basically, as well, the 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 Asian traditional medicine market as well sees wild lion bones as being more potent as captive ones. So not only is this unethical in that you're killing animals for a trade, but also this industry, once it starts getting its teeth into lion bone, the lion bone trade, which I'm sure it will do soon if we're not careful, will start targeting their wild lions as well. So um, it really is a very worrying situation that if we don't tackle now and if we don't address now, could really skyrocket out of control like it has done with the tigers. Matthew, can you talk about a father's pride? Why did you decide to write this now? Well, I decided to write the book mainly to raise an awareness of this this issue of cant hunting because I think young young people deserve to know things like this, that these things are going on. And I, and I think when you educate young people about them, they want to have their voice heard of it, heard on these issues. And if we're not careful, we're going to raise a a generation of children that don't really care about think, issues like this. But when you actually talk to them, they do care and they want to have their voice heard and they can make a difference. And I wanted to get a book out that would help not only engage children with lions like I was when I was younger and have a real love for them, but also show that that unfortunately these things go on and, and, and to try and get kids talking about this issue and to try and hopefully inspire one or two children when they're older to help fight the conservation of lions. Um, obviously, like I said, I, I, as a young child, I was always I was always obsessed with lions, as many as well as other animals such as sharks. But lions have always hold, held a really special place in my heart, and I sort of just started writing the book by accident. Really, the book came really from the book Dying to Be Free, which Gareth Patterson wrote on the canned lion scandal in South Africa, linked to the Cook Report, which is in 1997, I believe, which exposed really to the to the world canned hunting for the first time. And I read a, a few pages into that, and there was a story about the dark lioness of Malothi, who was a lioness who had a dark mark on her right upper leg. And in 1996, she was unfortunately shot in front of her cubs, who were on the other side of an electric fence. And that footage was actually used in the cook report. And that struck home with me really, really, really deeply. And I wanted to do something to spread awareness of that and to keep this issue alive. And also, Another reason for it really was because in the book, the character, the young boy in the book is called William, who is based on, my middle name is actually William. And my my wife tells me that I based him on me without really knowing it. But the father in it, Michael, is actually, that's the name of my father. And um, I based really the character on him, even the way he looks is exactly how my father will look. And um, I almost wanted to, my dad moved to Kenya many years ago um, when I was a teenager. And spent a lot of time there and he had a real love for Kenya and, and unfortunately my, my father was, was an alcoholic and I think he almost, he felt that when he was in Africa he was free and he and he wasn't, he was free from the sort of mistakes he'd made in life and 
that really helped me connect with Africa and, and see it as a sort of a beacon of hope almost for me. And I've, I've been there myself and it's a place I love. But I wanted to write something that would allow my father to have a legacy and that I don't want to give the, the ending of the book away at all. But um, it, through it, I wanted to almost have something that my father was linked to that could show his real love for nature and his real love for the continent of Africa and to, for him to be associated with something that um, could get people really talking about an issue, which I know if he was, my father died about seven years ago, unfortunately, um, from illnesses linked to his alcoholism, um, that he, I think he would have been proud to be associated with the, book, with the book. And I think he would have really liked to have known that his story and, and his character in there, while not necessarily a likable character in the book, it's helping children talk about this issue and, and talk about land conservation and maybe consider getting involved themselves. And I think he'd be really proud of that. I think you definitely would also. Just reading the book, the reader is able to understand the economic climate yeah. that the people in the region are experiencing. Can you explain why economics is such a huge factor? Yeah, well, I think, you know, you've got local communities who, unfortunately, I think, in some areas of Africa, who've got no other choice than to, let's say, work at a, a lion farm or or poach a rhino or get in with a rhino poaching syndicate because of their situation. And one thing that I wanted to do was to not just... I, I, one thing I'm quite proud of the book in, in that I never, at one point, I think, to my knowledge in the book, say, hunting is a bad thing. Um, I present a situation and... I, let, I allow the reader to react to that. And one thing I wanted to do in there was to give that side of the story. Um, Saba, a young girl in the, in the book, her father works at the farm. And, and like you say in the book, I mentioned how that the job of working there and the business that they have at the lion farm, it affects her and her father and it allows him to provide for her. And I think it's, it's a real issue we need to look at in that how are we supporting these communities and, and how are we going to encourage them not to get involved in rhino syndicates and with the amount of money that I was talking to you before about with canned hunting that is involved with, the thing with canned hunting is it doesn't support rural communities. Um, it's a big misconception that the, the, the line can, well the canned hunting industry like to um, to give is that they support rural areas, they put money into rural communities. These have not been wildernesses for a long time, these lion farms. They're basically old meat farms um, which and now run a lion farming business and other, let's say, canned tiger hunting industry, and then they sell these lions on to the to the to the hunters to be shot. Um, so the actual economics with canned hunting, um, the money doesn't go back into the, the communities. People like Melissa Backman will tell you. Unfortunately, they just stay with with the farm, and and possibly you could argue maybe pay for the wages of the people that work there, but it doesn't really help rural communities. Um, as it would pretend or mislead you to thinking it would. Now, you mentioned educating children. Yeah. You created an organization called So What? Can you talk about what the organization does and why it's different from so many educational organizations that are out there? Well, So What? was a website I made a couple of years ago. It's so What stands for Saving Our um, World Habitats and Animals Together. And it was a, a website I created because I created it almost because I was forced to, I'd, I'd done, I'd, I'd done a little bit of uh, educational work for a couple of charities previously, and things hadn't really worked out, and the, the, the resources which I spent a lot of time on never really made it to websites, just for various reasons, nothing to do with the charity themselves, um, but it just hadn't worked out, and 
I decided in the end I wanted to do something myself, and and, and I'm very fortunate. Like I said, I'm a primary school teacher. I've got um, I've got 30 kids in my class that unfortunately I, I force animal issues onto them, and we talk about them, but they seem to like it. But I wanted to create something that gave children a holistic view of conservation and didn't dictate to them. So the the website itself has got teaching resources on it, and it's got I think eight teaching packs now, all about different animals. So you've got one pack about a tiger, one about lions, one about wolves, for example. And through that, the children learn to research themselves and guide their own learning and to discover things about, let's say, tigers. And then also the, the next lesson is about the habitats they live in and then the wildlife that they live alongside, the relationship they have to humans. And actually the children in that particular session debate on both sides of the argument for, let's say, um, conflict with animals or loss of habitat, whether it's a good or a bad thing. And also they learn about the cultural and historical significance of that animal, which is, I think, those lessons in themselves, while other organisations do some great educational work, I don't think they go into as in-depth the cultural and historical significance of these animals, which I think is really important. And then after that, what I'm really passionate about is letting kids have their own work, their own voice, and allowing them to respond and, and create awareness in their own way, be it through social media or through creating a T-shirt. So the last few sessions, literally leave it up to the children or the teacher to steer how they want to raise awareness. And also one thing I like to do is, so what is, I really advocate the use of after-school clubs. So I now have three after-school clubs being run in the, the northwest of, the, of England. And what we do is we, we get people to go into schools after school so we don't take up curriculum time because uh, teachers have a hard time now anyway trying to cram everything into their curriculum and we basically run these clubs after school so we can have the children for however long we want and they see it as fun as well so they're actually learning something and I found through running these clubs at the primary school where I work that I've got a lot of children who keep coming back to them because they like them so much even though the structure of each different club is often the same so it's just something I'm really passionate about and something that I'm I think it's really important that I think education is a vital part of conservation and I think in particular we should really put a lot of effort into educating children and raising awareness amongst children and letting them know that their, their voice counts too and to hopefully, like I said um, earlier on, to if I can inspire one child to go on and study hard and to get involved in wildlife conservation, they could be that child that comes up with a solution to help solving the rhino poaching crisis or the ivory trade or hopefully maybe even bring cant hunting to its knees. So that's really what I want to achieve and hopefully through this website I can do that. I think you will definitely do that and I look forward to having you come back on the show, Matthew. You are an amazing person. Oh, you are someone that I know my audience will absolutely adore and I think your book, A Father's Pride, is also explaining a very difficult issue yeah. to children and to people who don't quite understand why candor trophy hunting exists yeah. and it really helps the reader to understand all these different elements and how we've gotten to the point where we're at where human beings are basically wiping out so many different species simultaneously and we're at that critical point where people really need to do something yeah. and it's not just you know the folks in the UK or in the United States it's a global responsibility. Yeah, really so, more. Really Matthew, more. 
thank you so much for coming on the show today. And can you just give our audience your website and also any other information so that they can purchase a copy of the book, happy. A Father's Promise? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to. Um, so What, the web address is www.sowhatuk.com. And you can purchase a copy of A Father's Pride from the Lion Aid web shop. They've kindly put it on there for sale. And also on Amazon accounts pretty much worldwide, I think it's available in paperback and Kindle edition. I know it's for sale on paperback in the US and the UK. So, And there's lots of other uh, websites such as Barnes & Noble. It's up for sale on as well. So but thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I look forward to having you back, Matthew. You are just such an amazing person, and I will support your efforts as much as I can. I just think people like you are the people that are really walking the talk, so to speak, and helping people to move in the direction that we need to go in in order to not only save other species from going extinct, but for our own species. Well, thank you very much. That's really kind of you. I really appreciate um, your positive feedback. It really means a lot. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. And folks, the information for A Father's Pride as well as the website for So What will be available on theorganicview.com. But by all means, especially if you have children or if you're an educator or just someone that wants to understand more about canned hunting, please pick up a copy of A Father's Pride and also check out Matthew's website, So What. Thank you for tuning in today, folks. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a good afternoon.